Good morning. So there's always there's a big discussion, not a big discussion. It's really just a topic um, about us practically building a connection and a relationship with God, because God is very spiritual, very abstract. Because God is so spiritual and abstract, it's not someone we see. We say Hashem is everywhere, but we don't see it and feel it. We try to, and we, we sometimes there's indicators in our life. But because we don't feel and um, see it, so we, we try to take things in our life and associate them with God and make them our, so to speak, um, God representative. Whether it be a Sefer Torah, Tefillin, a physical object that we connect with. And it's for a reason. God wanted that. God, like we've been discussing many times, God wanted that we should take physical things in this world and make them holy, make them godly. And that's why He made a physical world. If He wanted us to be spiritual and connect with God in a spiritual way, then He wouldn't have made a physical world and He wouldn't have made us physical people. He wants us to connect to God in a physical way. But it, 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 it's difficult. And it, unfortunately, it could actually lead a person in the wrong way sometimes. When we try to make God too physical... When we try to um, make, when we, when we think that, that God is only physical and, uh, and we, we forget that there's, this, there's a more raw, spiritual and abstract part to God which we, have no, we, we, don't, we, don't, know of, we don't know about. Um, so that's an interesting discussion um, based on something in the Pasha this week which will, which will give us a fascinating insight on this whole idea. In the beginning of Sefer Tvarim, it discusses Moshe translated the entire Torah in every single language, in 70 languages. Look in source 1. The Pasuk says, This is the fifth verse of Sefer Dvar. On the other side of the Yarden, of the Jordan, in the land of Moyav. Moshe began, literally means explaining the Torah. He began explaining the Torah. What does it mean the Moshe began explaining the Torah? So Rashi brings, um, and it's brought from many sources. The Moshe went and translated the Torah to the Jewish people in 70 languages. 70? In how all 70 possible? languages. How did we speak 70 languages? We were slaves in Egypt for 200 years. Exactly, how did they know? Years. Who the heck spoke? Okay, so on this simple level, he wanted it to be accessible and understood by anyone that would want to touch it. Anyone that would ever, in history, you know? So he translated it in 70 languages. The thing is, we don't have those, I don't know that we have those uh, translations till today. But Moshe translated in 70 languages, that's what it says. Now, obviously, there can't be something bad about that. If Moshe did it, it must be divinely, it must be a God wanted it, and Moshe did it. That's why arts go down to business. There were a lot of people who were against it. They said, how do we take the Torah and make it into English? Oh, so we're gonna, that's, the, that's the discussion we're going to go into. That's it. So is it a positive <laughs> or negative thing to translate Torah? So the truth is, right here we see in our parsha that it was a Moshe did it, and it was a positive thing. Obviously, we don't see anything negative about it. But if you look further in other sources in this topic of translating Torah, we find very conflicting things. Let's start with a famous story with Talmai Hamalach. Okay, Talmai Hamalach. They translate Amir as King. Uh, I don't know how you pronounce that. Ptolemy. Ptolemy in Greek. Oh, Ptolemy. Oh, Talmai. Okay, Talmai. They just put a P there. Okay, Ptolemy. So Talmud Amalek, the story goes, is Mesechtes Ketanis, Mesechtes Seferim, uh, brings there two episodes that happen with translating the Torah. 
What the first one is, we'll read it. Maisa Behez Kenan, there was a story with five of the elders, five Tamidikachamim, sages, Shakosfu the Talmei Amalek as a Torah, that they wrote the Torah for Talmei Amalek in Yevonis, in Greek. That day was as hard for the Jewish people, as hard, as difficult as the day was when they constructed and made the golden calf. That's very strong, a very strong statement. And it explains, because the Torah was not able to be properly translated in Greek. And therefore, you can imagine the mistakes that can come out of a translation. And therefore, it says that day was as difficult for the Jewish nation as the day that the golden calf was made. Now, it's a, obviously, we understand the repercussions of translating Torah. Because translating Torah can lead, like you said, this whole discussion. Well, exactly. People can have different interpretations. The words in English don't match exactly the words in Hebrew. And the words in Greek also don't match exactly the words in Hebrew. And therefore, it can be a, it, it, it can be a wrong translation, wrong interpretation. And who knows where it can lead to. And we see this continuing in the same Gemara. Let's look back. In the same Masech Seifrim. This brings another story immediately following. Let's read the other story and then we'll discuss it. Shuv Maisa, another story, Betalmei HaMalek. Shekonas Ayin Beis Kenin, they gathered together 72, you can join them, 72 of the sages. V'hayishivum b'shivim u'shnayim batim. And he sat them, he didn't tell them what he called them for, he called 72 and he split them into 72 different rooms. Solitary confinement. They weren't allowed to come out, they were stuck. With nothing else there besides for feather, ink, and uh, paper. V'loy gilolahem al maknasim, he didn't tell them why he brought them in. Each one entered their, their room, and then he went into each of them individually. Write for me the Torah of Moshe. Now, we all, it's a famous story, a very miraculous thing that took place, where Hashem put in the mind of each of these 72 sages um, the same exact thing to change the schema diet, and they all came to the same conclusion. They each run their own Torah, their own translation, but the Yud Gimel Davar Shinuba. They changed, there were 13 verses where they changed the word, they changed the way it was written, and when they translated it into Greek. Why? Precisely for the reason that we said in the first story. Because they were not able to properly translate it into Greek if they were to translate it literally. Yeah. They said, Dasna Hashem put it in their mind. And therefore they each, on their own, came up with the same exact 12. Imagine they each, imagine they each would have come up with a different one. Right? That's what I said. I really, you listen to part of it. No yelling for the They didn't have a, a voice from heaven that came and told them. They, on their own they came to it, but it was divinely inspired. That's how the Gemara says it. You don't interact with the fans. Okay, so... Um, the, and this solved the issue of it being translated properly. So obviously we see a literal translation couldn't have been done. Here it was not done literally, and they changed certain things, and therefore it was acceptable. One example of that is the first Pasuk in the Torah. The first Pasuk in the Torah is Bereshis Bara Alekin, which we translate as, that in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. If you were to translate the words literally, it would translate as Bereshis in the beginning, Bara Alekin, God was created. Almost sounded like there's someone else out there, another God, which created God. That's how, you, that's how the words translate literally. Bereshis bara elikim. In the beginning, bara elikim. He was created, God was created. Or God. So, 
they, what they changed is they switched the words around and they wrote Alekim Bara Bereshit. That God created in the beginning. This way it shouldn't sound off. But this is just one of the 13. I only quoted one. There wasn't enough space. But there's a bunch of other ones. Like Nasa Adam B'Salmein where it says we will make man. And when we say we, it's a huge thing. We say God didn't make it by himself. There were other people that created the world with him. So they changed it to E'esa. I will make man. Um, not we. But there's many other examples that they changed. So, um, this is, so we see here that translating the Torah is something which can, which can lead to very negative things. To almost literally apikursus. Literally thinking that there's other gods and there's other people, other powers. So we see why it was such a sensitive topic. But Moshe did it without a question. Moshe did it. And there's no, no discussion whether that it was bad. But we see here, using the term that when they did it for the first time by Talmud Amalek, it was so bad that it was like the day that the golden calf was constructed, was made. It's a very strong statement. I want to analyze that right now. I'm going to go into, I know the topic of this parsha is not the golden calf, but this will help us shed light on a beautiful concept. Well, why in the world are we comparing it to the golden calf? It's a very strong comparison. I mean, translating the Torah is as severe as the golden calf. The golden calf was one of the worst mistakes that the Jewish, made in his, Jewish people made in history. It's worse. Just, just a simple message. translation that someone can, t- can take off in the wrong way is as bad as making a golden calf. Yes, Because it can lead to. Okay, very good. So, the diok here, the diok here, beautiful diok, which is, we find this in another one, but we're not going to have time to go through source three. Another story where we use the same term. That uh, Hillel and Shammai, I'll just tell you the story and then we'll go into it. Hillel and Shammai were known to be um, uh, arch, not enemies, but they argued against each other. And, uh, and the halach is always like Hillel, right? Um, uh, the argument is always, but the halacha was always like Hillel. Um, there was one day where Hillel was, was in the base Madrash, and usually the way it worked then, the way it always works, is it, it depends on the number of sages. Whichever number of sages, um, wherever the majority is, lies, if the majority lie on Shammai's side, then the halakha would be like him. If the majority lies on Hillel's side, the halakha would be like him. So what we mean that the halakha was always like Hillel is that the majority always sided with Hillel. This one day, Hillel was in the base Madrash, and they were having a whole back and forth, and they realized that there was a majority of people that would side with Shammai. So this says they locked the door, and they didn't let anyone in. No one went in, no one went out. And on that day, they passed a bunch of laws um, according to Shammai because they were the majority. And it says there in the Gemara, the same thing. Let's look source three. I'm um, not going to be the whole thing, but the last line of That day was difficult and severe for the Jewish people as the day that the ego was constructed. The golden calf was made. Again, we use the same term. Yes. So what, we're not going to be able to have enough time to discuss this Gemara, because there's a lot to discuss here. But let's focus on this. What's this comparison? We see it's not used only once, it's used twice. To the day the golden calf was made. How can we compare such things to the golden calf? So the diok is, in both stories, if you look, the word is used, it's not as severe as the golden calf being made. It's not, when we say, it's not kosha like the golden calf you made. It's kosha kiyoyim. Not, like the day where the golden calf was made. Now what's the deal? Like the day where the golden calf was made, very good. Um, as follows. Let's go to the story of the golden calf. What happened? Aaron was trying to push off. Aaron was trying to really push off what was going on. He told the Jews, okay, we'll make it. But let's celebrate tomorrow morning. 
And like Rashi there explains, he was hoping that Moshe would arrive in the meantime and they would actually celebrate. It would turn into a celebration because it, not of the golden calf, but of Moshe. Moshe came back. They thought Moshe was gone. So the day that the eagle was made, making the eagle itself, so to speak, from the start, wasn't necessarily on its own a bad thing. It led to a bad thing. Originally, Aaron was involved in making it. And Aaron said, it's going to lead to a celebration tomorrow. And in his mind, Moshe was going to come back and they would actually genuinely celebrate in a good, positive way. So the actual construction of the golden calf, and when it was constructed, nothing really negative happened. It was the next day. So the day that the calf was made, what was the issue that day? The issue was that that led, it was the potential and the opened the door to lead to what eventually happened the next day. So if you right away understand it like that, that's a simple um, a comparison. We're translating, translating the Torah is the same thing. Translating the Torah can lead to issues. Not that the actual translation of the Torah is as bad as the golden calf. No, it's like the day when the golden calf is made, that it can lead to other issues. And the same thing with Hillel and Shammai. That because the halakha is always like Hillel for a reason, which we won't get into now. So the fact that that day, so many laws were passed according to Shammai, it left, uh, opened the door for the future that it can change. Well, the manner in which it was passed. It's but, not exactly a democracy if you close yeah, the doors okay, and good. say, hey, Very good. only these seven people are here. Very good. But uh, we're focusing on how it can lead to other things, right? So it would eventually, I guess the manner would lead to other issues. That uh, would lead to, to, many, to many other issues. But it's the same idea. I mean, the actual act isn't horrible. It was what it can lead to. But obviously, the fact that we're picking the golden calf to compare it to, we can, there's so many other examples of that. If all we're comparing it to is the fact that it can lead to something else, I mean, there's so many other things. We know that if they evil sit in Michel, don't put a stumbling block in front of someone because it can make them trip. I Meaning, there's so many other things that it could be compared to. The golden calf is a very severe thing to compare it to. context, translation and interpretation are the same thing, or they different? Good question. One is taking the words into English, like art school does, right. but it, it's completely objective. It doesn't give you their thoughts. And one is interpreting it in another way, like you said. Father, art school does. They interpret, but they put in their, in their, their explanations. Notes. Even <laughs> inside, and they're, they have the bold that, words and the, the other words. The bold words yeah, are the literal yeah, translation. 100%, and, but they, they differentiate. Yeah. They're very clear about that. Yeah. Are we talking about just translating it? So simply we're talking about just translating. Yeah, without an explanation. In the literal translation. That's what Talmud wanted. What do you think Talmud wanted? He wanted, I don't know, to use Torah against them. So they, they fixed 13 things and he wasn't able to. After the fact, a lot of Sfarim were written in other languages to protect it. Like we, we've seen Sfarim written in Arabic, in Aramaic. By the way, I looked this up and it still exists. This is called the Spagonia or something. There's a word for it. This, uh, and they... And they say that, that they found that in there, some of, they found some of the changes, not all of them. Some of the changes that it says here that they wow. made, they found some of them in, that, in the Greek translation from the second century of, uh, after the common era. But is it possible though, <clears throat> okay, you have the worship of the golden calf, but it still denotes that there's, there's a God in some way, shape, or form. Oh, 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 very good, very good. Now, if you compound the message by changing the translation, you alter it altogether. So it's worse. Exactly. So very, let's, let's go into the golden calf. Let's analyze the golden calf for a little, and that will be, we'll finish off with that. And this will give us a beautiful insight into um, how we have to make God practical and physical, but at the same time be very careful. Um, so the, what do the Jewish people want with the golden calf? So interestingly, we all think of it as Avodah Zarah, Avodah Zarah, right? It wasn't actually Avodah Zarah. They didn't want to replace God. If you look in the Pasuk, source 4, 
It says they saw Moshe wasn't coming down. They gathered to Aaron and they said, let's make for us. They called him Aleikim. But someone, they didn't say, the Ramban points out, I didn't quote the whole thing, but the Ramban points out, they didn't say that we want to make for us a God that will give us life and will vitalize us and will create. When they used the term Aleikim, they said simply, someone that will walk in front of us. Because Moshe that took us out, we don't know what happened to him. Very clearly in their words, they weren't trying to replace God. They were trying to re- replace Moshe. And the Rabban points this out. Uh, one of the leading commentators, is pointed out by many, at uh, the bottom of source 4, <laughs> It's clear that the Jewish people did not think that Moshe was a god. Like some, like some religions think that their leaders, uh, so to speak. All the miracles and supernatural things that he performed for the Jewish people were his own power. They didn't think that. So, so for what reason did they go and say that Moshe left, now we want to make a God? Moshe that led us from when we left Egypt till now, he's gone. Let's make another replacement for Moshe, and this replacement will serve as Moshe, not as being their own entity and their own power, but as serving as the representative of God. That's all they wanted. They wanted someone else to represent God. They didn't want a new God. Explain that. A, a golden calf yes. Is yes. Okay. So let's explain that. By God to represent God. <clears throat> Exactly. That, this is where the issue lies. But let's go into it a little. That didn't Moshe go up to the to the mountain before they built the calf, and then when he came down, God told him he hears problems in the calf. That it could be a, yes. a, a milchama. Yeah. Moshe came downstairs and he saw the calf and he had the Ten Commandments and, and he, he dropped and broke. He it. dropped it. No, he threw him on the calf itself, and that's when the earth opened up and swallowed the <laughs> Okay. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Not exactly, but something like that. No, not exactly. <laughs> okay, um, so let's so let's analyze this golden calf. What actually happened? What was going on in their minds? And it's very simple. The Jewish people realized, and they knew this, that from when they left Egypt, from them when they became a nation, having God as their their leader is very difficult. It's very difficult to have God as your leader. You can't interact with God. They all merited to see God once. When he came down on the mountain and gave him the Torah. Other than that, there's no real interaction with God. We're very physical people. All we per- our perception is physical. And there's nothing else for us to... We can't measure, we can't understand, we can't grasp anything beyond our physical limitations. So Amosha served as that. God gave them Amosha for a reason. He wanted that there should be a physical person that would be their, their medium, the intermediary between them and God. That there should be a physical representative of God. This way the physical person in the physical world can interact with God in a physical way. And the golden calf, they felt when Moshe was gone, like we still had God, we still had God, but we need a physical representative to God. And it wasn't so far off. Why? What happened a few, a while later? God instructed them to build a Mishkan for this purpose. And on the Mishkan there was the Kruvim. God spoke to them through the Kruvim. Why is that so different than the golden calf? What's the, we'll see the difference in a second. I know what you want to say. So the warning? Yeah. He spoke because of the God spoke to them from the to oil moyed through the kruvim, through these the, there were um, uh, figures that were built on top of the ark in the temple, and they were very. God spoke to them through them, like his voice came out through them, so to speak, to the to Moshe, to Aaron. 
But the point is that this is clearly something that God intends, that God wanted. He wanted there to be a physical thing in this world that we can interact with and associate with God. And the base of Mikdash was that served as that for years. And now that we don't have a base of Mikdash, it's very difficult. There is a Drasha Yaran, Drasha Saran, where he writes that once the base of Mikdash was destroyed, again, there's a leader in every generation which serves as that physical um, representative. And starting from the times of the, after the base of Mikdash was destroyed. So the point is that there wasn't, they weren't so far off in their intention. So what was wrong? What was so bad about the golden calf? The issue was that it was from their own, um, it, was, it was their own invention. That yes, God wants there to be a physical rep- representative. God wants us to be able to physically interact. But God dictates what that should be. We're physical, we're limited, we're restricted. We can't go and take a physical thing and say, oh, this is going to be our representative of God. No matter what powers you have, how spiritual the powers may be, whatever the black magic you know you can do and make it look like that, like it says, it formed on its own, it's not within the ability of a human being to go and say that this is going to turn into my representative of God. Yeah, God is the one that sends us who it will be. We don't choose that. And this, is, this was the mistake here. This was the issue. <laughs> and what this tells us is something so powerful. Back to the translation of the Torah. Why when Moshe translated the Torah, it was, so to speak, making, taking Torah, which is God's wisdom, and turning it into a worldly thing, in a worldly language. Moshe doing it by God's command is the holiest thing, and it can't lead to anything wrong. The sages doing it by Talmud's command, that can lead to many, many issues. That's the key here. Is it something that we dictate, or is it something that God dictates? And that's the very subtle thing that many people don't realize. It's so common today, people wanting to have... No, it's so common for people today to want to change rules of Torah, to change things, to make them connect more to God. And this is, this is the key here. You, you, won't, you won't get any closer to God than coming up with your own new ways. God told us, God tells us how to get this. It hasn't changed for the past 3,000 years. Ideas. They don't ask themselves, wait, what's the first thing that happened? God chose Moshe. End the story. You can't create exactly. you, you, you had it in your, your words the whole time. But that's the beautiful idea here. And this is the sign. You want to know. You want to be able to measure yourself. If what I'm doing is something which is, which is associated with godliness and with God and aligned with God's uh, um, command, is it something which has place within the Torah that God gave us? Why is it so hard to do that in real time? You argue with someone sometimes you get so deep you mm-hmm. remember the first most important thing is why. Because they're not present. Jews were not present. <laughs> they were fearful. No, man. They know. That's the beautiful thought here and the beautiful insight and very practical. Yeah. And I, I wish and hope on everyone, each and every one of us should have this as a guide, a guiding hey. thing in our life to always know that it has to fit with, with Torah and with Hashem's hey. desire.